difficult to understand. Inscrutable are the ways of karma. Gahana karmanogatehi. This is a very famous uh, phrase in, in general, in other Indian languages also, where they say gahana or equivalent of that. Karma ki gati nyari, they would say in Hindi, something similar. Meaning that, of course, what is meant there is that you can never tell why things are what they are. How come this cuckoo has such wonderful voice but she is black in color, you know. This kind of thing they point out. <coughs> and how come this crane, this fellow is actually a, a hypocrite but looks like he's meditating, you know. So you see so many contradictory things there. <coughs> why is it so? You can never tell. Because what the result of karma will be, nobody can ever tell. In that sense also they say, but here what Lord Krishna means is that to understand what karma is, is not easy at all. It is extremely difficult. For the simple reason that already notions exist about what karma is. It becomes difficult to understand things 
when there are already preconceived notions about that, then it becomes difficult. If you have a clean slate and you have no notion, then it is perhaps easy for us to understand. But when we already have conclusions, opinions, notions, then it becomes difficult because then we have to drop those notions to understand what the thing really is. Because people already have notions about what karma or action is. And basically, Lord Krishna, when he says the notion of karma, in fact, he is teaching us about the notion of karta or the doer. Who is the doer of the action? That is, that is what is to be ascertained. And in the next verse, Lord Krishna explains that. This is the 18th verse. Karmanya karma yaf pashyed. A karmanicha karmaya. Sabudhiman manushyeshu. Sayukta krachna karma krita. Karmani akarma yaf pashyed. Karmani in action. Akarma, actionlessness. Yaf pashed, one who sees actionlessness in action. That's the first part. Akarmani cha karmayaha. And one who sees action in inaction. One who sees actionlessness in action. And one who sees action in inaction. Sabuddhiman. He is wise among Sabuddhiman Manushyeshu. He is wise among human beings. <coughs> so what Lord Krishna says that the wise person sees something quite different from what other wise person see. <coughs> the two categories, wise and otherwise. Rather than saying knowledgeable and ignorant, otherwise. As we say yesterday, it is not merely ignorance, but it is the wrong knowledge. Ignorance, if it is just absence of knowledge, that I do not know something, it is not so bad. But then, I know something wrongly and do not know that I am entertaining a notion. Instead of rope, I think there is a snake and I do not know that my, my notion, I mean my knowledge is false, I do not know. Meaning that what is false is taken to be real. <coughs> a simple example is of the sun. In the morning we see the sun rising, in the evening we see the sun setting, and therefore we think that the sun rises and sun sets. That's what we perceive. During the day we see the sun traveling from east to west. Therefore we think that the sun is traveling from east to west. And then at night it goes on the other side, in the morning it comes on this side. And therefore, what the perception is, is that the sun is revolving around the earth. Sun is rotating around the earth. This is what we perceive. And therefore, everybody already has concluded that the earth is stationary and the sun is revolving around the earth. Until Copernicus, some scientists came along and demonstrated and said that no, no, it's not that way. That was just a few hundred years ago. 
Until then, for thousands of years, people thought that the earth is stationary and sun is revolving around the earth. It is false notion of what we call Brahma, it is delusion. And that is called delusion when the deluded person does not know that it is delusion. The deluded person thinks that it is real. <clears throat> when I see the snake, I think that is really the snake. I do not know that this the notion of snake is a delusion. Then the sci- it requires scientists to tell us that it is not the sun that is revolving around earth, it is the earth that is revolving around the sun. Then how come the sun appears to be rotating, revolving? How come the earth appears to be stationary? <coughs> if earth is indeed rotating around the sun, should it not appear to be rotating? And if sun is, sun is stationary, should it not appear to be stationary? But things seem to appear different from what they really are. Because we are traveling along with us, therefore, we do not see the movement of earth, therefore, we think that it is standstill. And what is happening is that the rotation of the earth is superimposed upon the sun. When we, can, when we see the sun rotating, it is the rotation of earth that is superimposed upon the sun and we entertain the notion that the sun is rotating, sun is revolving. So, this is called superimposition. Vedanta calls it Adhyaropa or superimposition. What obtains in one place is seen to be obtaining elsewhere. And so, the motion that actually obtains in the earth is superimposed upon the sun and the sun is thought to be moving. <coughs> it's an example of what we call false perception or a false notion, not false perception, but false notion. <coughs> perception of the intellect is also false. <coughs> Thus there are this kind of false notions existing in our life. Vedanta will call it Brahma or Aviveka. Aviveka means the lack of Viveka or discrimination, lack of knowing the thing as it is and knowing it as different from what it is. Similarly, stars, which are very far away, the stars are moving, but they appear to be stationary. Because of long distance, what is moving appears to be stationary. What is stationary appears to be moving. What is moving appears to be stationary. So we think that stars are all fixed, but they are not. And thus, it is possible that there can be wrong conclusions in our life. There are many wrong conclusions. These things don't affect our day-to-day life, so it doesn't matter whether the sun is revolving or the earth is revolving. It doesn't matter. Swami, what does it matter? It doesn't matter to us. It may matter to astrologers and it may matter to scientists, of course. It doesn't matter to us. But similarly, what does it matter whether stars are moving or stationary? It doesn't matter. So there are many delusions obtained in our life since they do not matter in our day-to-day life, therefore, it is not very important we may live with them. <coughs> but a great delusion also exists in our life about our own self. And that delusion or Brahma is that, I am Karta, I am the agent of action, I am the performer of action. 
Thus, when I am talking, my notion is that when I am speaking, my notion is I am a speaker. Perhaps you have the notion that you are the listeners. When I am eating, I am the eater. I am the seer. I am the hearer. I am the thinker. This is how I normally think about myself. This is how I take myself to be. That is why Lord Krishna said that even very learned people also are deluded with reference to the nature of, with reference to who performs the action. When Lord Krishna says there is delusion about the action, really what is meant is there is a great delusion about the who, who, about who performs action. Where is Kartrutva? Where is the doership? The common notion is that Atma, the self, is a doer. And as we say it at the beginning, it is this notion which everybody entertains, which Arjuna also entertained, and this is what created a tremendous sorrow in Arjuna. Because then he thought naturally that he will become the agent of action, of killing all these people, he will become the killer. And they will be killed. So these two notions are there. One is that I am the performer of action. And second notion is that I am the experiencer of the result of the action. Thus I am a karta and I am bhokta. I am a doer and I am an enjoyer or experiencer. So these are the notions that we entertain. Our whole life we lived based on this. So whatever our perception is about ourselves, that forms the basis of what all we do. Whatever we think, what we desire, what we do, all of this is based on what my perception of myself is. If my perception of myself is that I am an incomplete being, I am a needy being then, there will be naturally desires to become free from need. And then there will be action to fulfill that desire. Then there will be a result of that action and then I will be the experience of the result. Which may prompt another action, that's how the chain of action and reaction is going on. All of this is because of my perception that I am an incomplete being, I am inadequate. This is my notion. When I say I am a karta or I am a doer, that also is similar. I am a doer or I am an enjoyer. As I said, when I do something, when I think that I have, I have performed given action, there is always a possibility that that may cause a sense of guilt in me if I did something which is not in keeping with my own value. So we suffer from guilt of whatever improper things or inappropriate things or unbecoming things that we may have done, we feel guilt, guilty. And the sense of enjoyship, experiencership creates a sense of hurt because when you treat me in a way which I feel is not respectful, which I think is not proper, then I feel hurt by the action that you perform. So when I become the object of somebody's action, there is a possibility of hurt. And when I am the agent of action, there is a possibility of guilt. 
this hurt and guilt are very predominant in the human mind and they are the cause of their great irritants. They cause all stresses. They are cause of sorrow. So this is how Vedanta explains that the cause of sorrow lies in our notions of the self or I being a doer and an experiencer. If you trace any sorrow, from now on spend a little time. Don't just stop and listening to these talks, but then whatever you get here, see whether or not it makes sense. It makes sense to you, does it apply in the life or not? This is not a theory, we are not talking about theory, we are talking about actual life. Bhagavad Gita or Vedanta in fact talks about ourselves and our life. Because that's the most important thing to us. It is nice to know about black holes and about quarks and about things. That's all academic. But I am not academic. My life is not academic. So understand that Vedanta talks about life. Now, so in now from in future, later on, whenever you feel unhappy, whenever you feel sorrowful, whenever you feel sad, ask the question, why am I sad? Why am I sorrowful? The reason will be because I did something or because somebody did something. Either because that person did this and that's why I'm unhappy or I did this and therefore I'm unhappy. I perform an action, Swami, I'm a failure. I did not succeed. Unhappy. So whenever the result of an action is not in keeping with my expectation, then I judge the result as a failure and I judge myself also as a failure and then that makes me unhappy. And even when I judge myself success, then also potential of unhappiness there because a person who judges himself successful will someday judge himself a failure. Because my judgment comes not from what I am, my judgment comes from what happens out there and if that is favorable, I am successful. If that is not favorable, I am unsuccessful. The human mind always seems to be always jumping up and down between the elation and depression, elation and depression, hurt and guilt. What else is there? You tell me a third cause of sorrow. You, you find out now. Our proposal is that kartrutva and bhoktrutva, doership and experience it. We can trace all the unhappiness or sorrow or sadness or misery to either kartrutva or bhoktrutva, doership or experience it. So now, during the day, you please discover another cause, other causes, and let me know in the evening we can discuss, you know, in our satsang. So what are the other causes of sorrow? Let us know. Therefore Lord Krishna said, Yajnatva mokshasi ashubhat. Knowing, knowing who is the karta, who is the doer. Knowing where does the action take place. Who is the performer of action. What is the nature of you? That is, what is the true nature of the self? Yajnatva, knowing which? Moksha said, you become free from all sorrow. Swamiji, I don't only want to become free from sorrow, I want to be happy. 
but that's both are the same. Becoming free from sorrow is becoming happy. How can it be Swami? Happiness comes when I get something that I like, you know. Vedantin will say that, no, happiness is your own nature. It is a cloud of sorrow which is only concealing that happiness. And therefore, when the cloud of sorrow moves away, the happiness which is your nature just becomes evident. Meaning that we need not do anything special to become happy. All that is needed to be done is to remove the causes of unhappiness. Happiness is already existing. Like the sun is already shining. And the cloud is covering the sun. Therefore, you do not experience the light. Nothing needs to be done to produce sun. All that needs to be done is to remove the cloud. And therefore, if these notions of kartrutva and bhogtrutva go away, they are the causes of sorrow, then going away of sorrow is the same as manifestation of happiness. <clears throat> That's why in deep sleep state, we are all experiencing happiness. In deep sleep state, everybody is happy. Everybody is free. Therefore, nobody will resist sleep. Our children may resist many things. Oh, do I have to eat this? Indian food? This food? This clothes? That thing? All kinds of Again going to school? Again doing this? But has there any child ever said, Again going to sleep, ma? Has anybody ever said that? Going to sleep again? Nobody asks this question. In fact, you look forward to the experience of sleep. The problem is, again getting up, that may be a problem. <laughs> oh, again six o'clock in the morning, again going to school, again go, getting up early. So leaving this sleep is always a problem, giving up the sleep. But then, embracing sleep is never a problem. Because instinctively everybody knows that that is where you experience total rest and poise and freedom and happiness. Why is it so? Because the notions of doership and experienceship, kartrutva and bhogtrutva are not there in deep sleep. In the deep sleep, I don't have the notion that I'm so and so, that I did this. In the deep sleep, you might do something also. Sometimes people walk in sleep. Sometimes they kick also. The things happen. So children are sleeping, you know, in line. Sometimes one fellow is kicking the other one. It happens. We don't punish that fellow. In the waking state, he kicks, then you punish him. In the deep sleep, somebody kicks, you know that he did not do it intentionally. There's no kartrutva there, meaning that there's no sense of doership that I'm doing this. It was not a deliberate action. It was not punishable. It doesn't raise any, it does not produce any consequences. An action performed without the sense of doership does not produce consequences. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita is addressing this kartrutva and bhoktrutva, doership and enjoyership or doership and experience. Because that is what, what, that is what caused Arjuna, the sadness, and that's what causes everybody's sadness. 
So Lord Krishna says, Karmani akarma yaf pashed. One who sees akarma, akarma means actionlessness. Karmani in action or karmani in the doer of action. Meaning that, what is the one who is normally thought to be a karta or a doer? The one who recognizes that there is no doership in the self, in fact the self which is thought to be a doer, the self that is thought to be a performer of action, a thought, the self that is thought to be an agent of action or karta, in fact is actionless. So Lord Krishna says that the self or Atma is actionless. Because where can action take place? Action requires change. Action means some movement. Either movement in time, movement in space, some movement is always involved in action. In action some change is always involved. Therefore, where can action take place? That which is subject to change or that which is subject to movement, that is where action can take place. What's the nature of self? Self is free from birth, free from death, free from modification, free from change. Self is changeless. And therefore, action which requires change is not possible in the self or atma who is changeless. Because karta, the one who performs action also, constantly undergoes change. See, right now, I am, for example, a speaker, so speakingness. Then later I become a hearer, then I become, you know, that's a different state. Then I become an eater, yet another state. So karta, or the agent of action, is subject to constant change, depending upon what action is being performed. So when can Atma be karta? Atma or the self, when it is when it is possible for the self to undergo change, then alone kartratva or doership is possible. But then self is changeless. Atma is changeless. Atma is boundless. Atma is infinite. Atma is consciousness or changeless. And also there's no need for there's no possibility of change, there is no need for change also. So one who is complete, in completeness there is no need for any change. Understand that the need for change comes only when there is incompleteness or inadequacy. There is a, there is a desire in me to change, desire in me to do something only when there is incompleteness or inadequacy. When I am not that happy, when I am not comfortable, that is when something prompts me to do something. Swami, that is when you come home and say, let us go out, let us go to a mall, let us go to a movie, let us undergo let us this, let us make a phone call. Because I am not comfortable. I am not comfortable being, in, in, in being what I am. Therefore, the discomfort within me prompts me to keep doing something. Meaning that action is possible only where there is discomfort. A discomfort is there where there is sense of inadequacy. But the self is adequate, always comfortable. And therefore, even there is no possibility and need of any action or any change in the self. Change in self is not only changeless, but at the same time free from a need to change. So Lord Krishna says that 
action is not possible in Atma in self. This was said right in the second chapter. Yayenam vetti hantaram yaschenam manyate hatam ubhautau na vijanitaha nayam hantin hanyate. One who thinks that I am a killer. Other one who thinks that he is being killed. Many one who looks upon himself as, a, as an agent of action. Other one who thinks that he is object of action. Both of them do not know because Atma neither kills nor is being killed. Meaning Atma neither performs an action nor does he become an object of action. That's a big thing. When, when do I become unhappy, you know? When you perhaps, when I, when I perceive that, I think you did not treat me respectfully. You did not treat me properly. You may not have, and this is my perception. Some, some little, little change in the expression of a face, like a frown or something, I may think that, I, I think he's not happy with me. He's, uh, you know, you may be perhaps trying to sneeze or something like that, you know. But then I may interpret it in a different way. Because I'm always ready to interpret that way. This Swami is very sensitive. That means very touchy. That means it takes very little for him to be, feel miserable. So whenever, therefore, your behavior, which I interpret as disrespect, makes me unhappy. Hey, who is unhappy? The self is unhappy. He, Swami, he insulted me. He insulted what? What did you insult? You can insult perhaps my body. Swamiji, how funny do you look? Look at your hair, look at me, look at your ear. Or you can perhaps, you are just describing what it is. I may take it as an insult, you know. Or you might, you might perhaps make a comment about uh, the Swami's intellect. About his behavior, something or the other. Now, suppose you have insulted. What have you insulted? What have you criticized? You criticize either the body. Or you criticize maybe the intellect. You criticize maybe the knowledge. You criticize maybe the, the way of performing action. You criticize one of those things that are visible to you, isn't it? But all of these things only belong to the body-mind complex. They don't belong to the self. The tall and short is not Atma, it is body that is tall and short, or fat or lean or whatever it is, is not the Atma, it's the body. Or whether a person is intelligent or a person is dull, that also belongs to intellect, doesn't belong to the self. Or whether you perform an action well or you mess it up, again belongs to the mind, doesn't belong to the self. And therefore, even if somebody criticizes the body, criticizes the mind, criticizes the intellect, understand that that criticism or insult only stops up to that point, it never in fact reaches the self. As we say, when this actor is performing a role of a beggar on the stage, and according to the script, somebody insults that beggar, that insult reaches up to what point? Reaches what point? It only, that insult reaches only the, the costume, only the role, and never the actor who plays the role. Is it not so? 
whether respect is given or disrespect. Respect or disrespect. Both of them, both of them, suppose an actor takes the role of a king and everybody is praising him. If he thinks that I am being praised, then there is some problem there. If they, oh, they are praising me, then there is a problem. Because they identify with his role. What they are praising is merely his role and not him. Is not so? Or when he acts as a beggar, and if they are suppose hurting, insulting him, they are insulting what? The role and not the actor. If actor feels insulted, or if he is being praised, that means that he has identified with his role. He no more is able to maintain a distance between the role and the one who plays the role. But that is called a good actor, who always maintains a distance between the role and himself. And there is not a physical distance. It is not that the actor is physically different from the beggar. Because the hand that is begging is the hand of the actor. The mouth that is singing is the mouth of the actor. And the tear, the eyes that are crying are the eyes of the actor. Meaning there is no physical distance between them. And still there is a distance. What's the distance? Distance in knowledge. This actor has this knowledge that I am an actor, I am a, a rich person. And that this beggar is just at the level of the role. It's a costume at the level of role. As long as this distance is clear, so long does not matter what happens to the role. Whether there is respect or disrespect, success or failure, gain or loss, would it matter to the actor? Nothing at all. He remains free. Similarly also, if I knew, Lord Krishna says that, hey, you are not what you take yourself to be. You are equating yourself to the body. You are equating yourself to the mind. You are equating yourself to the intellect. And you take yourself as small or limited or insignificant as the body or the mind or the intellect is. Just as we superimpose the motion of the earth upon the sun and think that the sun is rotating. And so also the attributes of this body and the mind are superimposed upon the self and then I judge myself based on this body or the mind. Whereas what's the relationship? What's the relationship between the self and the non-self? Something similar to the relationship between the actor and his costume. So Lord Krishna understand that this body, sense organs, mind, intellect, is your personality, is a costume. You are the person, you are the self, which is wearing that costume. That's why in the second chapter, Lord Krishna said also, just as a person discards the worn-out garment and takes on the new garment, so also the self discards his worn-out costume and takes a new costume. So in second chapter, it was made very clear that Atma is different from Anatma. Atma, Anatma Viveka, or a separation between self and non-self. The body is taken with the self. Lord Krishna says, it is not yourself, you are not the body. Does this body come to help you or become useful to you when you are dreaming? When you are dreaming, at that time, this body is lying in the bed and you are in Canada, so in the dream, you go to Rishikesh, 
or some place. Why this body is lying in the bed? Is it not so? Oh, Swamiji yesterday had a very nice dream. I went to Rishikesh. Oh, I took a dip in the Ganges. And Swamiji's darshan? I saw you lying down here whole night. When, when did you go? So in the, he had a different body in the dream. That means that he existed without this body also. And when I'm fast asleep, I'm not aware of this body or in mind also. And still I'm there very much. That shows that there are times when I am not equating myself to the body. It's not a rule that I'm always equating myself. It's not a waking state. In the dream state, I don't equate myself to this body. I equate myself to some other body. In the deep sleep state, I don't equate myself to any body or mind at all. So when we take into account the experiences happening in all the states, if we confine our understanding or analysis to a waking state, that may not be adequate. But if you take into account the dream state, the deep sleep state, in the waking state also, it is not that I am always equating myself to the body. It is our experience also that when we are absorbed in some, doing something, sometimes you get so absorbed in what you are doing. Whether you are cooking, you are knitting, you are cleaning, you are doing accounting, working on a computer, whatever. You forget where you are. You forget also the, uh, what time it is, oh, it's 45 minutes. You forget time, you forget place, you forget where you are, is it not so? Very often. And that shows that at that time, you are not equating yourself to any body or time or place. Thus, when we analyze our experiences, we find that, this body, sense organs, mind, intellect is the instrument given to me for me to interact with the world, for me to express myself, to receive the stimuli from the world, to interact with the world, just as in my office I have so many telephones, I have the internet, I have so many other tools available for communicating and so also this is an instrument given for me to do things, to communicate, to interact, which is fine. But just because my telephone is so little, you know, therefore I am little, I don't say that. These days cell phones are so small. I don't equate myself self, I know that it's just an instrument. Or just because my house is 100 feet tall, doesn't mean I am tall. I know that it's different from me. I am the dweller of the house, I am not the house. So also I am a dweller of the body. The body is a dwelling place. We require a dwelling place. Our organs of perception are like our telephones to receive information. <coughs> our organs of action are like the, the, like the, like the uh, what do you call it, the internet, to send out message, to, to respond to the world. Our mind is like the computer, to think and to work things out. They are all tools. And just as a carpenter, he has a big box of tools. When the day is over, he gathers all his tools and puts them back in his box, puts them aside. That time he's no more a carpenter now. He's just a human being, not a carpenter. Next morning, 
He picks up the tools and starts, then he becomes a carpenter. He's a carpenter when he is only using his tools. So also at night, all the tools are gathered up. Our body, sense organs, mind, intellect, everything is gathered up and kept in a box. In the deep sleep state, I'm not functioning through any of them. When, when I wake up, I gather all the tools again and start functioning. That shows that I have the freedom to give them up. And therefore, a carpenter should not say that I am the tools, that I am this hammer, I am this chisel. He would not, or I am this, you know, he would not, would not say that. But we are saying it. Because of this notion, because of this identification of the body-mind complex, therefore we are suffering from a sense of smallness. Not otherwise, I am suffering from sense of smallness, not because I am small, but because I am equating myself with something which is very small. So Lord Krishna says that you are self. This body, sense organs, mind, intellect are non-self. They are not you. You are aware of them. You are the knower. You are the user. So where does action take place? Action takes place in this level, when I am speaking, action takes place in the organ of speech. Is it not so? When I am doing something with the hands, action takes place at the level of hands. When I am walking, action takes place at the level of legs or feet. When I am thinking, action takes place at the level of mind. But what, what do I do? Whereas the organ of speech is speaking, you know what I say? I am speaking. I am the speaker. It's a car that is running. And what do I say? I ran. Swami, I came 80 miles an hour. You know? It's a motor car that did. But then because of equating myself to a motor car, I think that I did. I did 80, Swamiji. It's a car that is running. So this is called identification. And what Vedanta is teaching us is to be able to know this and create the distance. Just as there is a distance between the actor and the role, so also you have to learn to create the distance between the self and non-self. The actor and the role, that this is the costume. That is fine. If you know that this is a costume, then whether you are father, mother, husband, wife, doesn't matter, they are all roles. Somebody insults you is the role that is insulted, not you. Somebody honored you is the role that is honored, not you. You are always clear. You are always free. Karmani, akarma of pashed. Lord Krishna says, one who sees akarma, the actionless, in karma, in the doer. So one who is thought to be doer, in fact, is actionless. He never does anything. All the doing takes place at the level of upadhi, at the level of our personality. So Burhodhani Gopanishad says, Prananeva, Pranabhati, Vadanvat, Pashan Chakshu, Shurman Shotram, Manvanamanaha. When it is a breath that is breathing, he says, I am breathing. It is organ of speech that is speaking, he says, I am speaking. It is organ of hearing that is hearing, I say, I am hearing. It is eyes that are seeing, I say, I am seeing. It is a mind that is thinking, I say, I am thinking. 
This is very habitual. To identify with this upadhi is habitual, is the result of ignorance. And therefore, it is not that somebody has told me we are automatically entertaining these notions. And that is what they call hardwiring because these notions are entertained from the time beginningless. It's not only from now. That's why when I was born, I was born with the notion that I am the body. Not that somebody where my mother to educate me from that. Hey, you know that this is your body, you, this is you. I knew it. They didn't have to tell me that I'm speaking, that I'm hearing. The identification is very habitual. Therefore, what is needed is to create a distance. Which distance is there? But the distance is erased on account of identification, just as the actor is different from his role. But because of identification, he may take himself to be a role in which he suffer all the problems of the role. Karmani, akarmani of Pashet, one who knows that Atma, the self, is actionless. And therefore also, he is neither a doer nor an experiencer. Akarmani is akarmani. Now this is being told to Arjuna. Arjuna, the person who entertains notion that I am not doing anything, also that's a wrong notion. The one who says I am doing also is not right. One who says, I am not doing, also is not right. But Swami, you just say that Atma does not do anything. I didn't say that. Atma, we say actionless. Doing and not doing, both of them belong to Dhupati. It is nature of body, mind, intellect to do. It is their nature not to do. So when a person actually sits quiet, his body is quiet, motionless, he closes the eyes, he stills his mind, no activity taking place, that time, you know what he says? I am not doing anything. But I am not doing anything also is not right because where not doing is, is also a level of body and mind. That is where non-doing is. Where doing is, that's where not doing is. So doing also is in the body-mind level. The not doing also is there. Action also is body-mind. Inaction also is in body-mind. So for a person to think that I am not doing anything, Lord Krishna says that is also ignorance. And there also is action. Because not doing also involves an action. <clears throat> you know how much action is involved in keeping the body still. You know, Because nature of body to always do something. To keep it, you know, it requires effort. And more than that, to keep the mind still is extremely difficult because the nature of mind always to think. And therefore, to have a mind that does not think requires a tremendous amount of restraint. Is it not so? Whichever action is involved. We give this example that it is the nature of the car to roll down a slope. If there is a slope, the car will naturally roll down. Suppose there is some fellow standing in the middle of the slope and the car is steady, car is not rolling. Does it mean that the fellow is not doing anything? He is doing something. When, is it, when would it be that the car does not roll? When he applies a brake. 
the brake needs to be applied in order to prevent the car from its na nature of rolling. To roll is the nature of car and to prevent it from rolling you would apply a brake which is an action. So also to move and change is the nature of this body-mind complex and therefore to restrain it from any activity also requires applying brake, restraining that also is an action. So Arjuna you think that by dropping this action by sitting quiet, you think that you are becoming free from action. You are not. So understand what Arjuna is seeking. He wants to become free from bondage of action. And therefore, Lord, I will not do anything. That's all. Lord Krishna says, it can never happen that you do not do something. Even in the notion that I am not doing something, the doing is involved. Because, still ignorance is involved. Because, even non-doing also, is at the level of body-mind and you are superimposing that upon the self and thinking that I am not doing. Therefore you are not free from bondage. When can we be free from bondage? By knowing that I am actionless. That all the actions and inaction, all of these only belong to the body, sense organs, mind, intellect, never to the self. When actions are taking place, then also the self is actionless. You see, Lord Krishna said, in my presence everything happens. Just as in presence of magnets, the iron filings automatically retracted, there is no effort on the part of the magnet, and so it appears as though magnet is inviting all these fellows here. When the little pieces of iron, when they get attracted to magnet, they start all running towards the magnet. And one may think that magnet is, in, you know, is pulling them. Magnet says, I am not doing anything. It happens in my presence. When a fan rotates, one may think that electricity is turning the fan. Electricity says, I don't do anything. In my presence, the fan turns. And so also, in presence of self, or the consciousness, it is nature of mind to act. And therefore, in presence of the consciousness, the mind, sense organs, they become enlivened, they become active. And that's how they perform their actions. Meaning that the self or the I is actionless, is immutable, is changeless, actionless, never ever free. Important thing is, I'm ever free. Whether action is being performed, then also I'm free. Action is not being performed, then also I'm free. Meaning that to gain freedom, it is not that I should do something or not should do something to gain freedom. I should know something to gain the freedom. Freedom is the result of knowing and not doing or not doing. Swami then, I'll stop doing, but you cannot stop doing. To stop doing also requires a great amount of maturity. Lord Krishna says in the third chapter that a person cannot sit quiet even for a moment because there is restlessness within himself. As long as I am not comfortable with myself, the discomfort compels me to do something. And therefore, I do not even have freedom not to do something. Because I, most of the time I am not doing something, I am made to do something. It's like a machine. When you switch on, does the fan have freedom not to rotate? It has no freedom. When you switch the, you know, on, fan has to rotate. So also, we do not have freedom not to do something. Because the inner discomfort, the inner restlessness, the inner sense of inadequacy makes me do something. 
Even when I am meditating also, that also is only because of that. Why should you meditate? So that Swami, my mind is quiet. Why? So that I feel happy. Why? Because I am not happy. So need to become happy comes because I am not happy. That is the problem. Who says you are not happy? Oh Swami, I am restless. Who is restless? The mind is restless. And I equate myself to the mind and I judge I am restless. Then I try to become restful. And I wrestle with the mind and I do things. So, Vedanta says, well, you may need to wrestle with the mind to know that you are, you are always at rest. But that is a different thing. But otherwise, it is not necessary that the wise person knows that he is free because the mind is like this or body is like that or because action is like that. Regardless of what anything is. Freedom is the nature of self. I am free not because of something. I am free because it is my nature. I am complete not because of something, because completeness is my nature. I don't have to become complete, I have to discover that completeness is my nature. Sabuddhiman manushyeshu. The person who knows this, person knows that the self is always actionless and the non-self is, that is where the action belongs. One who has a discrimination, this is called Viveka Jnanam, this discriminative knowledge. Saha Manushyeshu Buddhiman, he is wise among the human beings. So he is really wise. Others are all otherwise. Regardless of what other wisdom we have. I may be a great engineer and a great scientist or a great physician or a great economist, which is nice, no doubt about that. But still, as long as I enter in notions, I am an economist or I am a physician, I am an engineer, I am a scientist, that shows ignorance. Because physicianness and scientistness and all this ness belongs only to the mind, doesn't belong to the self. What belongs to mind, I superimpose on myself, then I feel proud, I feel bad. The fellow who feels proud is going to feel inferior also someday because I feel proud in front of some people. Like Swamiji says, a one liter pot. When it looks at the quarter liter pot, feels something, you know. Look at this little majet, midget. Oh, I'm great. Then comes a five liter pot. He feels his midget. So all complexes are only on account of equating myself with this body. See, you see, understand the cause of sorrow. At least understand the cause of sorrow is because of the false notion about myself. Which notions are arising from equating myself with this body-mind complex. Otherwise, there's no reason. Lord Krishna says, Ashochan Anvashochastam. You are grieving for no reason at all. If you knew who you are, there would be no grief at all. And when there is no grief, understand there is happiness. Because freedom from grief is the same as the mani- is the same as manifestation of happiness. <coughs> so Buddhiman Manushyeshu. So this is the wisdom that we have to acquire in our life to become really wise. Sayukta, he is a real yogi. This wise person is a yogi. Although we may have a picture of a yogi that he is absorbed in his samadhi, which is fine. But without that also, even though this person may appear to be very active, still he is a yogi because he is always abiding in himself. What is yoga? Yoga is a means of joining us with with Paramatma. But that is my nature. So this knowledge in fact 
creates the right connection, right plugging. You know, somebody says, how do you plug into consciousness? Mm-hmm. Plugging is by knowing that, in fact, Paramatma is my nature. It's by knowledge that we get plugged. And then, I'm hooked all the I'm joined with Paramatma by knowledge. And that knowledge is not opposed to action. Therefore, in whichever state of body or mind he is, he is always a yogi. Krishnaka. Yogi also means the one who is a mastery over himself. The wise person is a mastery over himself because his mind, intellect, everything has become very favorable to him, very pleased with him. And therefore, they're always, uh, they're always with him. They're always, he is together as a person. Krishnakaramakrit, he is a person who has done whatever is to be done in the life. Karmakrit is a doer of action. Krishna Karmakrit, he has done everything in his life. Whatever was to be achieved, has been achieved. Whatever was to be known, has been known. Thus he is, he is a person who enjoys a total sense of fulfillment. He is wise in the real sense. He is a yogi meaning, a master of himself. And he is a total a person enjoying total fulfillment. Who is he? One who knows the true nature of self as actionless and also knows that all action and change belongs to the non-self. This is so this is a knowledge that Lord Krishna wanted to give saying that people are deluded with reference to action and inaction because they do not know the true nature of self and therefore they have their own conclusions about that. Knowing this, you become free from all the sorrow. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Bhagavanta Punah Punah Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om